the tapes, <laughs> and I made my own covers for them all. It was on uh, the full armor of God. I think there was eight or ten tapes. That's back when y'all, you guys don't know what tapes are. <laughs> That's back when we had tapes. <laughs> Little cassettes that go in your head. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Aunt Kimberly, the historian, has got a historical piece of evidence there. <laughs> so we listened to those tapes all the way back to Tulsa. So we had a thousand miles of of Pastor Jim's teaching on the full armor of God. And she was so thoroughly impressed, <laughs> Jim, that she, I think she figured, you know, this guy might know something. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to stay interested in him. But anyway, um, that was a couple of years before things started happening. But anyway, you had a piece in it, Jim. And you had a lot to do with it later. We were celebrated our anniversary Friday, and we saw a bunch of pictures and and stuff. And and Jim was one of the two pastors that that um, did our marriage ceremony. And he was one of our pastors at the time. And and not only that, but had been a good friend for many years before that. And he and Jane uh, at that time uh, were integral part of of all of that happening. And uh, so anyway, wanted to share with you a little history that you didn't know necessarily, some of you. But um, so we've just been real happy to have you, you and Wanda. Y'all are welcome back anytime. Welcome to to speak anytime you have a word for us, Jim. And welcome to come and be with us anytime you don't. <laughs> anytime you want to drive down this way. So if y'all give a big welcome to Pastor Jim, he's going to come back and, and finish this series today. Drag my water stand up here where I can reach it since I'm not running around today. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, I'm I'm sitting today because uh, I had a little little twinge in my back last week, and this week I got a big one <laughs> in my right hip. So I'm seeing the chiropractor tomorrow, and he he's a good believer. He believes in laying hands on the sick and they recover. With a little bit of manipulation to go with that, but I have, uh, he does, and I know Jesus too. It says, and when he had sat down, he began to teach, and so I've got a tickling nose. That's all that is. So. Uh, but anyway, it has been a blessing, and I look forward to being back with you, either visiting or ministering either way. And I've known this. I have known this young man quite a time. I do know you were still in North. Uh, or South Row Inn when we met up, and uh, so, and then, what year did you graduate? Yeah, 82. What year would you start at uh, Courier Life? A long time ago. 77. Did you go through Courier Life? She was a secretary, you remember that? I never went to the office. You never, <laughs> I, I should have known that. I did. <laughs> okay. But at any rate, uh, we've been talking about positioning for the miraculous. Let's pray over the word as we start today. So, Father, we do thank you, Lord, for 
where you, you have led us already in this study and where we're going today. And uh, everything in the Bible is good, Lord. We never get to an end. But, and the things just seem to all tie together, but it's a good place to take a break here. But just thank you for uh, what you got in mind for today, Lord. We got ears and hearts open to receive what you have for us today, Father. Lord, I want to speak as uh, oracles of God today and the uh, Holy Spirit to speak the words you'd have me speak and think the thoughts you'd have me to think. Thank you, Lord, for confirming the word preached today in our lives and in our hearts with signs following. We thank you for it in Jesus' name that everybody said. Amen. Well, we started out, I didn't know, as I told you last week, I didn't know everything was going to begin with a P when I started, but it seems like that's the most popular letter for me when I do a series. And uh, it was about after the second week that I realized, well, that was two Ps. I think it's going that way. And we talked about plans, and we looked in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and you know how it says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in the New International Version, how it says that God said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Their plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and hope. Uh, and then uh, I'm going uh, to read that to you. I want to read that to you in the message. I had that called to my attention this week. In the message Bible, it stated, and I'm actually going to start at verse 10 and go a little on past 11 down to about 14 because after God said that, I know the plans and it's to prosper you and not to harm you and give you a future with hope. He said, he talked about, and you're going to find, when you seek me and seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. You know, now this, the way this was spoken was in the Babylonian captivity, just when they were really getting started into it. There had been a good news prophet by the name of Hananiah that had said to him, oh, don't worry about this. It's going to be just a little short time. And Jeremiah said, well, brother, I hope you're right, but that's not what the Lord told me. And he said, he told me it's going to be 70 years. And so in the Bible, and I'm, I'm a little boomy up here. I don't know what needs to be done, but anyway, uh, I can put up with it if I need to, if y'all are hearing me okay. So it says in the, in the Message Bible, this is God's word on the subject. As soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before, I will show up. And take care of you as I promised, and I will bring you back home. I'm going to interrupt myself right there. You know, when you're going through something, it helps me to know about how long it's going to be. I, Wanda and I have a generally stop at Bojangles on Sunday morning. I need a little protein to preach on, and we stopped at the one up here on uh, right before we got on 51. And uh, as we've done every Sunday coming down here. And I did something I've never done before. I know a lot of people do it, but when you buy something on your receipt there, it's got a, you can check in online and do a little brief survey. It's a real brief, and then they give you a, a reference number, and next time you go to Bojangles, you get a free sausage biscuit if you turn that in. So I thought, well, I'm going to do this. Wanda had, was not quite finished or ready to leave there yet, and so I opened that thing up, but the survey kept going on and on. But what I commented to her about was I can do this because a lot of these things you wonder, is this ever going to end and you just quit? But there's they had a percentage down at the bottom to show you how, how you were progressing. And I still had a ways to go. I started out at 2%. But when it got up to about 76%, I thought there's hope. <laughs> and so it, it helps to know. Uh, 
if they stick you in an MRI machine, it's good to know about how long you're going to be in there. There's not going to be a week. <laughs> so God is really encouraging them by letting them know it's going to be 70 years, but I won't let you down. I will show up. He said, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised, and I will bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. That's when he says, I know the plans. He said, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you and not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking to me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. I'll turn things around for you. I'll bring you back from all the countries into which I drove you. Bring you home to the place from which I sent you off into exile. You can count on it. And so I like that from the, I like that from the, uh, from the Message Bible. I don't re think about reading it too often, but I do look at it sometimes. And then I'm, uh, Shirlene let me know she was impressed last Sunday that I knew how to use a smartphone. Being the elder person that I am, so. I just pulled that out of one of my 28 versions of the Bible or something in my phone. And I, and, I, and I copied down what I wanted and I sent it to the notepad. And today I can just pull it up and read it to you, okay? Not really impressed. I did a funeral not long ago, well, about a year, over a year ago, at a church I was pastoring in Salisbury. And, and there was uh, folks in there, probably 30s, the school teachers that were son and daughter-in-law of the man that died and so he had seen me with my phone in my hand and he told his children there in front of me he said this man even he knows how to email and everything on that thing they were amazed they couldn't believe it all right so the second week we talked about position and being in where there is a place called there right you need to be where God wants you to be I'm just going to remind you of a few you remember Elijah, we talked about him a little bit that week because Elijah, first of all, Elijah went into King Ahab and he said, it's not going to rain anymore till I say so. And, uh, and so for three and a half years, it didn't rain. Well, when it doesn't rain, things start drying up. And I'm going to get my watch out, so I'll just get a, have a little reference here. I did that last week, but then when I got to looking later, I couldn't remember when I started. I had no idea when I started, <laughs> so I didn't know how long it had been. But position, he told Elijah, first thing he said, I want you to go down to the brook chair and I'll, I'll, have, I'll take care of you. So he went down there and he said he has water in the brook to drink. The birds are bringing him food twice a day. And uh, ravens, they, they're not a really nice bird. But they, if they're showing up with food, we'll take it. And then after a period of time, the creek dried up. And the creek dried up as a result of Elijah's prayer. <laughs> It, it, it affected other people, but it affected him too. But when the creek dried up, it's just like in Jeremiah 29. God said, I will take care of you. You can count on it. And so God said, now I want you to get thee to Zarephath, for I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. And so what he needs to do now is get up, and if he's smart, he will do exactly what God told him and go to Zarephath. He could say, well... I, I preach a message sometimes on faith, foolishness, and presumption. Foolish faith would say, I'm going to Zarephath and look for a widow. 
And presumption would have said, I don't like Zarephath. I'll go to some other town and God will take care of me there. No, he won't. <laughs> and foolishness would be to say, well, I've heard some tapes from Brother Doodad. And I'm just going to stay right here and I'm going to confess that the creek's going to fill back up. No, it's not because God said it's going to dry up and you need to go somewhere else. Now, there's a time to talk to the creek, but that wasn't the time. So Elijah had a place called there that he needed to go to. I think about Philip. This wasn't a very long trip. Philip's just down here right down the road and this Ethiopian eunuch is coming along in his chariot. And the only repositioning he had to do was when the Holy Spirit said to him, go over and join yourself to that chariot. That's where he needed. He didn't need to be over here. He needed to be over there, the place called there. That's part of living in the miraculous. Then we'll talk about Saul and Ananias. Saul got knocked off of his horse on the road to, uh, on the road to Damascus. And... And he met the Lord there and was, and was struck blind by the, by the flash of the light from the glory of God. And he, he said, he recognized who it was, though, and he said, Lord, what would you have me do? And the Lord said to him, I want you to go downtown to Straight Street. And so he had to get some folks to lead him because he was blind. And then about that time, the Lord speaks to Ananias, who was a believer, and says to him, I want you to go down to Straight Street to the home of Judas, the whatever he was. So he gave God gave him a definite address where to go, and that's that was his place called there. That's where he needed to be. That's where his blessing was. And then I can tell share a little story from Pastor Lester Robbins, which I don't have too many sermons. I don't put put a little bit of him in there. And some of you folks will remember that when he he went in the army. Uh, Right days before Pearl Harbor, actually, he got married three days before Pearl Harbor because he was going to the army, and uh, and any rate, so they were in Fort Bragg, had gone through their basic training and all that, and they were going to ship out the next morning, heading for Europe, and the Lord said to him, woke him up in the middle of the night, and said to him, I want you to get up and go down to the latrine. In the Navy, we call that the head. In civilian life, you call it the bathroom. I want you to get up and go down to the latrine. That's all he told him. And so he got up. He was a good Church of God boy, Holy Ghost filled. He believed in doing what the Holy Spirit told him. He had a good track record of hearing from God, too. And so he got up and went down there, and he found these men down there, a bunch of them, that they were down in the floor, and they were, they were smoking cigarettes, and they were shooting dice and gambling and he said, and they were talking to those dice. They was calling them things like snake eyes and stuff. And, but he said, so he just went over and sat down by the wall. He didn't know why he was there. He just knew the Lord told him to go down there. He didn't know why in the world he was in amongst these people that he was amongst right now. He just sat down, and finally somebody said something. It was a Saturday night, late in the middle of the night. Somebody said, one of the men said, is anybody here going to church tomorrow? He said, and the Lord said, that's your opening. He said, yes, I'm going to church. And he got up and and then he wound up preaching just a very short message to him. And he said, the Lord sent me down here in the middle of the night to tell you men that if you'll take him with you, he will bring you back. And so he went to his there that night and took care of his assignment. And he said he met men that was, were in his company. And they went through five major battles in Europe. Battle of the Bulge, Normandy Beachhead, crossing the Rhine River, all these major battles, St. Lowe. And he said, I met men years after that that came up to me and said, when you told me that that night, I remember that. And he said, that's what brought me back home again. So anyway, that was about 
position, and then last week we talked about perception, and it was what it was about was, and Haley's openings are just always right on time, I guess, because what it was about is who do you think you are? And and render seller, I mean Cinderella. I won't I won't do that in Archie Campbell's version. You know, render seller had three sickly usters and a and a and all that stuff. <laughs> but at any rate. <laughs> Cinderella needed to find out who she was. And then uh, that gave her, and then she saw, Cinderella saw a little sign out there someplace, some words that said, don't let the fear of striking out keep you out of the game, right? So something she saw, a word that she got gave her hope. So today we're going to talk about the profession of our hope. And we start to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 for that, and through 25. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. And, you know, I gave you that scripture the first week because I talked about in 19, it was August of 1987 when I was... Uh, had, had had a biopsy taken out, and they were pretty sure it was. I did. I'd just gotten the word that it was melanoma. And when I came home and feeling kind of fearful and not doing too good, and having received that news over the telephone, and my four-year-old granddaughter was four years old at that time, and uh, she is thirty-something uh, uh, now with a sixteen-year-old son and three other boys. And at any rate, when I walked up to the door. I opened the door, and she said, Papa, do you want to hear my Bible verse? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, for he is faithful who promised Hebrews 10, 23. And when she said that, four-year-old kid, when she said that, something happened on the inside of me, and, and what it really was was hope. I had hope because somebody had told me something better than what the doctor told me. By the way, you know, when Elijah went, showed up at Zarephath, uh, he could have gone looking for a rich businessman. He, he could have said, well, it doesn't make any sense in my situation. I need somebody that's got some money to take care of me. But this lady needed somebody to bless her too in her situation. But she wound up feeding him for a year, feeding both of them for a year. And I will promise you, I had never thought of this before, but I thought of it yesterday. I promise you whatever that widow woman cooked was better than what birds deliver. <laughs> so we all, we're supposed to be going from good to better. But at any rate, so I'm going to go over here to Hebrews chapter. And, and that what she quoted me was really only the last half of that scripture. And it says in verse 23, the part, uh, it said, Let us hold unswervingly, I'm in the NIV, to our hope. Now King James and a few others say, Hold fast to a profession of our faith. But the word translated out of the Greek really should be hope. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. To the hope that we're speaking out of our mouth. For he is who promised is faithful. And then it says, and let us consider how to we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of, doing, habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So it says, let us hold fast the profession. I'll give you the King James, or let us keep on speaking the hope that we have 
And then it follows that up by talking about let us let us consider one another to spur each other on. And so there's two sides of this hope thing. I want to, just like we did with other things we dealt with, the giving and a whole lot of things. There's two sides of it. One is I have a need, and I need to be speaking my hope for my need. But the other part of it is I need to be speaking words that you need to hear. And you need to speak and be speaking words to produce hope in other people that you deal with. Uh, one word that we can use a lot of times that we do that in is something we call a testimony. Testimonies, testimonies seem to uh, produce and release hope. And I can think of so many times I was in what looked like a hopeless situation, but just something that somebody said to me, and I know other times when it's been reversed and I said something to somebody else. Just this past week, no, I guess it was a week before, but anyway, within the last couple of weeks, I was, uh, I was in a place and uh, I ran into a gentleman that I had prayed with about, I guess it was about three years before that. And what, when that got initiated was... when. We got a place in Concord called Trapman's Barbecue, and they, they've got one uptown that's been there forever. And then there was one down on 601, right at 49601, close to my house, where we ate frequently. And so we were in there one, one evening, and this man that I knew and had conversed with, he's a good Baptist man. He was then, he still is today. Missionary Baptist Church. And uh, I doubt if he's heard a whole lot of faith preaching there, but they do know that God wants to look after him. But this man had told me in the past, he had listened to me on the radio for years, and a lot of Baptists do sneak around and do that. But at any rate, even pastors, Baptist pastors. <laughs> so that night he came in, and he wasn't smiling as big as usual, but he walked over. This was not probably right after Wanda and I were married, and he walked over by where we were, and he said, I've been to the doctor this week, and he said he'd been diagnosed with cancer. And so he was standing there. So I got up, and I said, well, let me... Let me just share something with you. I said, in August of 1987, I was diagnosed with melanoma. And my at home and granddaughter said these words to me and all this stuff. And I said, we're going to pray for you. And I shared a little bit more with him. And I said, we're going to pray for you. Well, in me sharing that, there was a man sitting in the booth that was behind where Wanda and I were. He got up and came over there and said, I want to get in on this prayer because I've been diagnosed with cancer too. And so standing right there in Troutman's, and it's a pretty big place. It used to be a Harris Teeter grocery store. Standing right there in the middle of that place, we started gathering a crowd. <laughs> and we prayed. And then that, that man I'm talking about, it's been several years now, but I see him frequently. I've seen him all along. But he was just, uh, he's, he took some chemo, but he just, we prayed about that too. And he went through that with, he hardly knew he had it. It really consequences of it. It did what it's supposed to do good, and I always pray that for people. Let it do what it's supposed to do positive, but let it not have all the negative stuff. You know, it's it's designed to kill cancer, but if you don't let, work, let it, just let it run wild, it'll kill you too. <laughs> but anyway, he's been declared cancer-free after several years, and they've never he's gone back for his checks. But So now he's sharing that story with other people. That's the reason I'm telling that. He's spreading that around to other people. He's got a testimony to tell. Now, you know, one of the bad parts of this is, though, you don't have a testimony unless you've had a test. Otherwise, you just have demonies. You have to have a test. To have a, I needed the experience of being diagnosed with cancer to have a testimony about that. Now, God didn't put me through the bad, so I'd have a testimony. But when the devil tries to do it, we'll take advantage of it, right? So, 
it talks about the profession of our hope. I need to be speaking out of my mouth what I hope for. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 1. That's just not too far over here at all. 11 and 1. And it says, now faith is the, is the, King James says the substance. It says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. King James is familiar to a lot of us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I like to, the easiest illustration I know to talk about faith and hope, how they work together because they need to. Faith is the substance of things we hope for. So if I'm not hoping for anything, my faith doesn't have anything to do. My faith is trying to produce what my hope is, is, is established for. And so one of the easiest ways I know to illustrate that is the cooling system you have in here and what you got, a heat pump maybe. But there's also, so the heat pump is right now is probably putting some cool air in here and that fan's helping too. That's the auxiliary system over there. Uh, that's the cheap way to go when you don't want to run the heat pump. <coughs> and, uh, but in order for that heat pump to work for cold, heat or cold, either one, you're going to need some heat here before long. Out there in that room somewhere, there's a thing on the wall called a, guess what, a thermostat. That's your hope. That's your hope, hope out there. That's the gold setter. And when I set that, if you set that on whatever temperature we would have it on today, and I'll just pick a number at random and say we, we want it to be 73 in here. So if I desire 73, then I go set my hope on 73. That's what I put the thermostat on. And then that thermostat, that unit out on the roof in the yard, I see the stuff coming up through back all in here, is uh, it will only do what that thermostat tells it to do. If you set the thermostat on 95 and it's cold, hot in here, that machine that's supposed to cool this place down is just going to sit there and wait for somebody to tell it something. So the, the thermostat is the goal setter or the hope. This is what we are hoping. I am hoping. I am confident. And by the way, the definition of hope is confident, confident expectation. In fact, it's even a little better than that. It's unswerving confident expectation. So... I wrote this down so I'd be sure to remind you of this. Hope Church means that we are the unswervingly confident expecting church. We are the unswervingly confident expecting church. We believe in things that are going to happen. We are unswervingly confident that we're going to fill all these seats plus need more. That's why we're buying more, I guess, right? Amen. So there's your hope. As long as you're standing on that hope, your faith will go to work. Our, the church's faith will go to work to produce that. I know you know the principle here, and I don't know if you know this story, but you've heard of a fellow called Creflo Dollar, I presume. Well, when he started his church in the meeting in the school cafeteria of the school building where he was the first black child to integrate the school, he went back there to that school. He was clear, close to where he lives in Atlanta. He went back to that school when he started his church and made arrangements to use the cafeteria. And they had a little over a dozen people coming, most of them family. But they were believing. They were faith people, and they were believing for 200 people. And then the 200 people weren't showing up. Now, I don't know what your situation is or why I'm telling this story. Probably not what I'm saying, but he might think of something. So he went, you know, he discussed this with the Lord and said, Lord, we're using our faith, and we believe in and we're supposed to receive. When we believe, we're supposed to receive, and we believe in for 200 people. And the Lord said, excuse me, but you don't have seats for 200 people. Why would I send 200 people in there? So they got 200 chairs for the dozen of them. And then the Lord said, you don't have trained greeters and ushers to take care of 200 people. He said, so the next week, our entire congregation were trained to be greeters and ushers. 
And, of course, it grew, and now he's got a campus in Atlanta and one in New York City and whatever, and he's kind of busy. You might not want to get that big, but hope and faith working together. See, what they were doing before, they wouldn't. Faith goes to work. They were just really hoping and calling it faith. And I tell you, I hate to do this, but I have a tickle right here that is just bugging me. So y'all, my, my mama told me I always turn around. When I, but I'm not blowing my nose, mama. I'm, I'm, I'm itching it, doing something about that tickle. It's a wild hair right there. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, faith and hope. So hope's confident expectation. And faith and hope are both necessary. Faith, the word, the word in the, when it says, uh, now faith is the substance, or faith is the confident assurance, or what faith is whatever. That word faith, like, let, me, let me find it in here. It says faith is the being sure. The Greek for being sure, or in the King James, faith is the substance. You don't need to know what the word is. It's hypostasis. But hypo means under, and stasis means to stand. And so that says faith is, the word can also be translated foundation. Faith is the foundation of what I'm hoping for. Faith is what is the certainty that holds things, holds me up. Okay. I have right here, this right here is a, in Greek, this, this podium is a hypostasis. It's a foundation. Without it, if I jerk it out of here, my Bible and my book are going to fall in the floor because they have nothing to support them. Take faith away in whatever you're working on and whatever. That's what was supporting what you're trying to accomplish. And if you pull faith away or you get out of faith, it's going to fall. Uh, and I'm going to illustrate that right now in Matthew chapter 14. I'll tell you what. Don't go there. Let me tell you because you know the story well. Jesus came walking out on the, on the sea to the boys in the boat. And he identified himself when they asked. And, and, and so Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come to you, walking on the water. And so when Peter said that, and Jesus was already walking on the water. That's what got Peter's attention. Peter said, Lord, call me out there. Tell me to come walk on the water with you. Jesus just said one word. He said, come. He just laid one word from the word of God. When he spoke it, that was the word of God, wasn't it? Now, listen, you can't walk on water, but you can walk on the word. And so Jesus laid that word out there that said, come. Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water, started walking on the word. But then he got to looking at circumstances. It says Peter noticed that the waves were getting boisterous. Well, they, it was already stormy before he got out there. But he got to notice in the circuit, the contradictory circumstances. He got to pay his atten paying attention to that, and he took a sinking spell. And so we know Jesus had to get him and grab him and rescue him before he went all the way under and took him back to the boat and put him in the boat. And when Peter said, bid me come to you, that was hope speaking. That was hope talking. When Jesus said, come, that was grace talking because grace is the power. And then, and grace is miraculous. So Peter's going to get out there and walk in the miraculous. He's, he, you've got to walk in the supernatural to walk on water. And then Peter walking on the water, he was in something called faith. Because faith is the, is the hypostasis, it's the foundation, it's the thing that holds you up. And then when he got to looking at circumstances, Peter started sinking. And what was going on in there was a thing called fear, which is the opposite of faith. He, when faith came out from under, the, the grace of God was still there, the miraculous was still there. But when Peter got out of faith, he sunk. Now, I'll take the story just a little bit farther because you need to know this. That we know P Jesus took Peter back to the boat. Now, in some I heard sermons for years that you would have thought that was the only part of the story, that thank God when you sink, Jesus will take you up and carry you in. Well, that is true, and thank God for it, or we'd all be drowned by now. 
But we need to keep in mind that Jesus didn't seem to be happy with Peter about this. He said, Peter, what's wrong with your faith? <laughs> and the other part of that, that we need to know about is because Peter got out of faith and he started sinking. He did get back in the boat, but he wound up, and you may have heard this expression used for other things, he wound up back in the same boat he started in. In other words, somebody is sick, they get their hope, get hope from the Word of God that they're going to can make it like I did, and then they get to declaring their hope, and it starts building up their faith, making their faith strong faith. God gave to them. It says it's a gift from God, but you have to build it up. My muscles were a gift from God, too. When I was born, the day I was born, I had all of them. Sometimes they, I can remember when they look better than they do now, but they're still looking pretty good. I work them. I exercise. But, but then if, if you get out of faith and and the next thing you know, you're back in the same sickness you got healed of. You're back in the same boat you started. And that's where Peter was. If he had stayed in faith, he could have walked all the way to the shore. Thank God also when God rescues us when we need it. And so Peter took a sinking spell. Now, I thought about that like that came to me last night. By the way, I struggled with this message all week. I could not decide. I, had to, I knew where I was going. Couldn't figure out how to get there. And so last night, my son, we had already decided that we're going to Go look in the freezer and find something to eat and stay home because I was kind of feeling bad and my back was hurting and I couldn't think. And, and then we had pizza out on the counter out of the freezer because it's our groceries that we had at the house, easy to fix. The oven was already on, and my son came over to talk, and he said, and he knew that Wanda celebrated her birthday last Friday because it was the Gray's anniversary and, uh, or vice versa, whatever. So he said, have y'all done anything about supper? And I said, well, we're probably not putting a pizza in the oven. And, and I need to be studying. I hadn't got this figured out yet. And finally, I've done this. I've had this experience before. I thought, well, you know what? I need to go out and eat supper with my son and my daughter-in-law. They wanted to take Wanda for her birthday. So I said, let's go. And we went and ate some fish, which is brain food, I heard. I got back home. And within about 20 minutes, I knew just what to do with what I was supposed to do. And then this morning including that Peter walking on the water part. And then this morning, when I first got up, the Lord dropped another thing, just said, here, here's this. So let's think about this in just a minute. But I want to say to you what I wrote down. I've already said it basically. But what is received through the miraculous must be maintained by faith. What is received through the miraculous must be maintained by faith. About, I can think right now, of at least four of the most prominent healing miracles I was personally involved in not, not all of them, but at least four of the most prominent, the people wound up losing them. I'm thinking about one when uh, I had a friend that just passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so we, uh, I'll just go ahead and tell a little bit about her because it'll, it fits in with the testimony and everything. She was a high school teacher at Northwest High School, science teacher. She was born colorblind. Her, her daddy was colorblind. It was in her genetics. She knew all about that. She taught science. And... Uh, but and this was back in the in the seventies, late seventies, probably maybe early eighties or seventies. We were going on a lay witness. It was before I was ordained, so it was in the seventies. We were going on a lay witness mission, and uh, and which was all about testimonies. But my wife Jane, my first wife, had been telling she got a desire for this friend of hers to be able to see in color because Jane wanted everything had to see how beautiful everything was, and she was praying for her. Well, she told her that we're praying for you about this now. <laughs> Uh, she was had married a Lutheran, but she she came up in another denomination that wasn't really big big on believing that healing was for today. But she said to her, uh, "Well, I know God could do that." She said, "But 
I'm okay, and he's got all those hungry people in Africa he needs to take care of, so I'm okay, just don't worry about me. Like him healing somebody's colorblindness is going to take a meal away from somebody in Africa. I don't, I don't see the logic in that. But, but anyway, so that was her stand. And for, so for a year, Jane prayed for her with no results. And then we'd been on a lay witness mission that weekend, and we went over to their house on Sunday evening, and we got to doing what we always did, and we got to talking about the Word of God and sharing what had gone on. They, they, they went on missions too, but they weren't on that particular one. And I shared about somebody in a Methodist church we had gone to getting healed in something to do with vision. I can't remember specifically getting healed in their eyes that weekend during that meeting. And so for some reason when she heard that testimony, it produced hope in her. And she said, if God will do that, I want him to heal me of color blindness. We prayed right there on the spot for Lutherans. We happened to be sitting in the floor. We could do that then, sit down, cross our legs, and get back up. And we were sitting in the floor and pray. And, and, and her husband, my wife, and myself had our hands on her, and we prayed. And, and I know, in my case, the gift of faith showed up, the supernatural gift of faith showed up, because I knew when we prayed there was no question in my mind. Now, I remember about Jesus and that woman uh, with the issue of blood, you know, he, he felt the power go out of him. She felt it come in. He felt it go out. So I, I just put, tested it right that moment. We were sitting on, there was an African on the back of the couch in all kind of colors. And I said, what color is this? And she told us. I said, what color is this? She told us. What color is this? She told us. She said, I want to go up to my closet and look at my clothes. Her husband had always had to match her clothes up for her. She couldn't see the colors. We went up there and she named every color in her closet. She could tell the difference between a tan and a pale yellow, and a whatever. And the other part of the miracle is she knew what to call them when she had never seen them in color. And so I said, we were in the Lutheran church then. We had a good pastor that was, uh, that was uh, ready to receive a few things. I said, call the pastor now and tell him what just happened to you. And so she did, and he said, well, that's good. But later on, he, he began to believe things like that. In fact, I could have a testimony with him about him, which I might. This clock's not running too bad here. I still don't remember what time I started, but it don't matter. But anyway, I looked at it, recorded it in my mind. It's gone. Uh, but you know what? She didn't feed that. She never shared her story with people. She didn't share her story with people. Now, it's not that God says, I'm upset with you, but she wasn't feeding her faith. Church attendance was not what it ought to be. She went to school to teach every day, every, every day but when Sunday came, she was tired. And needed, that was her day to rest. And I'm not being critical about this. I'm just talking about but it was a long time. At some point in that, that color vision left. It wasn't God's punishment. It was, she, she took the faith away and it sunk. And, and uh, she, it, was a, it was years before she ever told me that she couldn't see in color anymore when I said something about it one time in her presence. Uh, I, I know of one that, that uh, miraculously was healed of cancer. The doctor said it's the worst case of this kind of uh, cancer that I have ever seen. It was it was. All, it was, uh, I don't want to use a word like Brother Robinson was the wrong word. But anyway, it was her gynecologist she was dealing with. I, it was ovarian. That's what it was. And uh, he said, it's the worst I've seen in, in all my years of medical practice. And, but she had already in the Word of God. She was already seeing God do things. And she said to the doctor, that's, a bigger, that's just a bigger miracle God can. And she wound up, she went through a process. They tried to get her to go have basically all of her organs taken out. And she said, but she knew, she knew that she had heard from God. And she stood on that and was miraculously healed. And 
later on it tried to come back and i told her this it's like a ball game i said we won the first inning just do again what you did the first time so she just got back on it again the same way she had done it the first time she had found her a scripture in the bible that many people have found i shall not die but live and declare the works of the lord all right and so 20 years later and all that cancer free still and she had a couple other bad things going then she left a church where she was being taught faith and she went to a Pentecostal church, big Pentecostal church, that was a big modern Pentecostal church because they had such a wonderful, good, big choir. And she wasn't being taught faith. And then she was asked to give a testimony to the women's meeting one, one morning. They had the women's meeting and she told them her story about her healing. And they, one of the staff pastors asked her to please not share that anymore because it it upset some of the people whose parents had not been healed. And so she stayed in that church where her faith was not being fed and where it was really being quenched. And she wound up getting cancer again. And when I would go to try to talk to her and pray for her that time, I knew my prayers are going nowhere because it, faith has left her. <laughs> really, she left faith. And y'all know who that, huh? Yeah. He, he, she knew about it, but she took herself out of a place where she was having to quench her faith instead of feed it. And I wasn't even planning on sharing all this today, but we need to know that what you receive, we're talking about positioning for the miraculous. What you receive miraculously, you still have to maintain by faith. And, uh, and uh, let's think about Peter sinking. And I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I didn't even know this would relate to this till the Lord told me this morning it would. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to verse 24. And it says, it talks in a little heading up there in my Bible. says, the wise and the foolish builder. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is Jesus talking, and puts them into practice, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's somebody that hears the word and puts it into practice and then but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain came down the streams rose and beat blew against that house and it fell with a great crash got two guys here both of them built out listen it said they both heard the word both of them went to church and they heard the same preaching probably and one of them went out and did and that preacher must have preached about foundation building you need to build a good foundation and one of them heard what was preached and went out and did what was said and did the work of digging down digging down and spend time to build a good foundation before he started trying to build the house and the other guy heard the same sermon but he forgot the part about the foundation <laughs> he heard the preaching and said well glory to god i'm gonna go build me a house on the sand Somebody might have told them, some of your neighbors, you need to get start first, get a foundation here. You need to do some digging, get down to hard ground, and get something that'll hold this house, something that'll support this house, something for a hypostasis, something for the foundation. So you see that same word right there? That's where this came from. It's that, that's what faith is in whatever we're dealing with. It, faith is the foundation that will support what you're building or what you're trying to do miraculously, even in a storm. Now, Peter was out on the water. He stepped out on his foundations. Jesus had to put the foundation down there for him. But when the storm came up, I, one connection here is these two houses, both of them looked good until the storm came. 
And I got an announcement for you. If it hasn't yet, the storm will come. Maybe some of you have already found that out, and I suspect you have. I was a, I taught a message. I've, I've done it several times. But it way back down there. It was on the tape, a message of what to do when bad news comes. And I think it was about a 24-point message. <laughs> it was out of Second Chronicles chapter 20. And then we were down at the beach and had met this lady that her and her husband owned a restaurant down there. And we found out that they were good, strong Christians, faith-believing Christians, went to a good faith church. And, and in fact, when I first got acquainted to her was in about 1980 or 81 when we, uh, we, had just, we were at a Kenneth Copeland convention in Charlotte. And we, we went to the beach shortly after that. And when we came out of her restaurant, I saw Mercedes sitting there. And in the back was a Kenneth Copeland ministry sack with some books in it. And I was looking at that. And then this lady came out of the building. That's the first time we'd ever eaten there. She said, I knew y'all were Christians. She saw me looking at those books. So we hit it off right then. But I gave him, or her right along in there somewhere, I gave her some CDs. And one of them was What to Do When Bad News Comes. I bet it was 10 years later we were in there eating. I hadn't been there too many times. And she said, I, she said to me, you remember those tapes you gave me? I said, yes, I do. She said, well, that one called What to Do When Bad News Comes. She said, I took that thing and put it up in the top of the closet. I was not going to listen to it because I was confessing there wasn't going to be any bad news. She said, later, years later, I had to go get it out and find out what to do <laughs> because the bad news came anyway. Listen, the devil's still on the job, and he's good at his job. But we know who we are. Know who we are. We don't have to put up with it. We just have to take authority, take a stand. All right. So you, you got that, and I'm sure they both had hope. One of them mixed faith with it. They, they both. Oh, I'm excited. We're going to build a house. I'm just going to remind you where we started. I'm not going to read all of it because you know it very well. You knew it before I read it to you the first time, and that's in Mark chapter five about the woman with the issue of blood, and it tells about how she had suffered many things. She had had this for twelve years. She had suffered many things of many physicians. She was nothing better, but rather getting worse. The natural wasn't doing it for her. What the doctors had to offer wasn't doing it. But uh, it said, but then, here's the key, but then she heard of Jesus. And I showed us how back in Mark chapter 3, it it said these people were, as many as touched the hem of his garment were being made whole. As many as touched him were all getting healed. Somebody told her about that. That's how she heard about Jesus. You can just touch his clothes and you get healed. And when he, she heard that, hope came. Now, and then it said she went, when she touched him, it says, for she said. And I went through this whole thing with you about it. It says in the NIV, it says, for she thought. That's not a good translation. The Greek word, once again, to remind you Greek scholars, is lego, L-E-G-O. You can remember that because that's them little blocks you build stuff with. That's, that means to say. For she said out of her mouth. She, but it also told you, I told you by the tense and the mood of the verb and all that, it says it indicated that she had been in the past and still was. A good ways back, she had been saying that. So what she was doing and all that time before getting out of the house to go, she was holding fast to the profession of her hope. She was holding fast to the profession of her hope. And then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so every time she said it, her faith got stronger. And therefore, when she went and grabbed a hold of the hem of that coat, she was so charged up that she just, without Jesus making a decision about it, without him even knowing it was going to happen, without him turning loose of something, she just went out there and sucked the healing right out of him. <laughs> so, I'm going to see if that's, that'll do it. There's some other, other things I could share, uh, testimonies and all that. But I tell you what, I think we got the point. We went from 
God has plans, and the plans are for us to prosper and to give us a future with, with hope. I'm so glad we're in Hope Church. There is hope for this place. <laughs> there is really hope for this place, Hope Church. And that's what God's got planned for us. And then one thing we need to do, we need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I need to be where God wants me to be, doing what he wants me doing. If he tells me Tuesday that, son, you missed it, I wanted you to go there two more weeks, but I really felt like he was letting me know to take a break. If it's a break, that's fine or whatever. And uh, one reason is maybe I'll get deal with this mess and I can stand up and preach the next time. But whatever, I just felt like it's a good time to take a break right here and stop. And, uh, and so then we found out last week that about your perception that we need to know who we are. Once you know who you are, you're dangerous to the devil. You can get you one of those T-shirts that says armed and dangerous. You can get you, can get you one if you want to. It says, look out, devil, I'm up now. You know, <laughs> our grandma's up too. But at any rate, it's been a blessing to be here. And I hope that if nothing else, the Word of God produced a little faith in all of us. I enjoyed it. And uh, it's a good church. And I pray for y'all and help believe for you. And uh, come back and see you again sometime. And I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. So how are we going to minister and close? Be fine. I'm glad you had a church that teaches giving. Robert Jackson told me like yesterday afternoon, I need to write a book about getting churches out of debt because I've, I've experienced that three times now when I went to Salisbury. When I went to Salisbury where I just left, uh, this is not about me, it's about how the word works, but they had, had gotten in the into difficulty. That church had been there about 30 years, been paid off already years ago, and they had to get a new mortgage on the church because some unwise stewardship that had gone on there, and, and they owed about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars i think and scraping along and it wasn't me one one thing that helped them though i told them i was willing to work cheap and uh but uh i just began to preach faith and i and, and declaring to those people that and we had a administrator that was really good at being thrifty he had just been ignored before but but we in the six five and six right at six years i was there five years and nine months i think went from that debt to and our attendance was in the 50 to 60 range and and we uh, about a year before i left there early in that year we paid the debt off and burned the mortgage and we did all that in about five about six years while giving at least 13 to 20 percent uh 13 was the low one year i think giving 20 percent to mission and and also doing everything else we needed to do and got out of debt and that giving it that giving part of it was a whole pop whole part of the church being a giver was a whole big part of the church getting out of debt and being blessed and i'm sure y'all know that and i assure you you have thrifty pastor they know how to stretch money amen come on pastor thank you for joining us today this message is brought to you by hope church if you would like more information about hope church or to listen to more please go to www.hopechurchnc.org That's www.hopechurchnc.org.